had a conversation with neuroscientists about <laughs> the... Hello, you're listening to Educated But Confused, the podcast where good science meets good conversation, casually. We're your hosts, Val, Avery, and Yasin. In this month's episode, we have Mikla Singhanya, where we have a wonderful discussion on preparing for comprehensive exams, animal experiments, imposter syndrome, and so much more. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, my name is Avery, pronouns they, them. I am educated in neuroscience, and I am confused about, uh, like, what a midi? Is that what this is? Uh, don't quote me. <laughs> can, we, like, can we steer away from that, actually? You need to confused about something else. Fine. I am confused about... <laughs> Uh, if, okay, I'm confused about, we're in a psychology building right now, and I'm confused if you can hang things from the ceiling, or if that's, like, a no. Like, you can't do that for, like, a fire hazard. Because I know in, like, when I worked at MGH, we couldn't hang things from the ceiling because it might be in the way of, like, the fire. What oh, the is it sprinkler called? system? Yes, the sprinkler oh. system. And so I'm worried, we have some plants in the lab that we want to hang, because we have this ivy and it's really long and it keeps it keeps falling off the shelf. I was playing as a nuisance. <laughs> yeah, like I was getting printer paper and the plant just fell off the shelf onto me and like the dirt got everywhere to get a vacuum <laughs> from downstairs. So we want to hang the ivy plant and we're talking with like our PI and we're like, can we hang it? Um, and she was like, yeah, like you can hang it. And I was like, but can we? Like, I don't know if that's allowed because of the sprinkler system. Like You could ask management to come up and drill, like, a, a corner shelf for it. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Could I? I feel like you could. I mean, I could ask. But they're yeah. altering the, They just will the, say the, no. The building. I know, I and mean, it's such a new building, so. We get things screwed in all the time downstairs in the nap lab. Oh. Hmm. Okay, oh. I'll ask. I want Maybe a little. might be less confusing. I would love a little like a little shelving a little it. shelf <laughs> next to my desk oh, yeah. <laughs> okay anyway that is that's my oh and then my beverage is a thai tea uh no sugar light ice <laughs> with uh crystal boba which i don't know what crystal actually means because they're not crystals hmm. but it's just clear like it's a clear boba does it have a flavor to it the boba yeah the crystals does it taste like Sedona, Arizona. So they specialize in crystals. That was nice. That was a poor joke. Um, <laughs> it went over our heads. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting much of a flavor, but it's also hard because it's coming in with the flavorful Thai tea. Mm. But so I mean, it's just like a texture thing. Yeah, the texture is nice for the listener. It's <laughs> <a> good texture. <laughs> the texture is nice. The light ice. Can you hear it? <laughs> it's too light. Yeah, that's my piece. <laughs> okay, uh, hello, my name is Yasin, pronouns he, him, his. Um, educated in engineering and getting my training in neuroscience now. Um, that might be redundant if you've listened to other episodes. <laughs> um, what I'm confused about this week... Um, is words to describe feelings that, um, how do I want to say this? 
that aren't necessarily describable. And what I have an example for this is like, you know, when you first make that realization that other humans have are like thinking, mm. you're like, you're also a human. You have a life. The conscious awareness. Yeah. Con- like meta meta awareness <laughs> yeah. is I guess what I'm confused about. And um, I don't know. I've just been very meta aware and mm. thinking about thinking. And it really confuses me. Thinking about other people's thinking? Thinking about other people's thinking. Mm, theory of mind. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> there it is. That's Whoa, what it is. Okay. I, didn't know was a, I didn't know there was a term for it. I'm doing a study on it. Yeah. Whoa, okay. Well, we got to have a combo. <laughs> yeah, we can talk all about there it. There we go. <laughs> theory, yeah, theory. Is it theory of mind? Is theory it? of mind. It's also called mentalizing. Mentalizing. So like, if you want to use it as a verb, like mm-hmm. mentalizing, mentalizing about hmm. others. I was just thinking about that. Like I remember as a kid... I don't know, even though like it was like middle school, maybe or like early high school, like looking at like myself in the mirror and being like, whoa, like you're a being inside that body. Like that's such a weird thing. I just remember being like, like being aware of your own conscience. Yeah. And I don't know why it just feels like, and then I felt like, I don't know, a feeling that I couldn't really necessarily describe Mm. when I hit that awareness. And so I'm like, do other people think like that? And yeah, mm. how it connects us all of being not only self-aware, but aware of other people's self-awareness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just to clarify, really interesting. theory of mind only refers to like the process of you trying to infer someone else's mental state. So like not your own, like that would just be like, right. I don't know, self-awareness, self yeah. concept of self. But the first part of that is what I'm more interested in other humans. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But also myself, too. But that's what I'm confused about. So, yeah, thanks, Avery. Maybe I'll be less confused after your resources. (laughs) Yeah, it's a cool topic. It's interesting. It's very interesting. All right. Well, I'm Val, uh, educated in psychology, health, and mathematics. Uh, I am currently drinking water, but I was drinking a strawberry boba tea as well. Uh, Also with no sugar and light ice. It actually didn't have boba in it. It didn't. It didn't. I I was. I thought it came with it. The little asterisks. Oh, that's why the... I asked you if you wanted a topping. But I guess I should have said really boba. A, it's not really a topping. It sinks to the bottom. Oh, shoot, well, we discussed this. Well, that's how they refer to it on their okay. menu. Okay. Well, it was strawberry flavored and it was delicious. Now I'm drinking water to counteract that. Um, I am confused. Uh, after today's discussion in our course, uh, I'm confused about how Botox can help with migraine. Oh yeah, I've I've uh, I've had someone mention to me that they use Botox for migraine, and I'm interested in that because my mom has migraine, oh. so that would be something interesting for her to think about. But yeah, I'm gonna wait for you guys to tell me about that. I no, I'm confused about it, so I don't know. I can't <laughs> so tell you anything. Don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just that it helps. It blocks like potassium receptors or something. No, Mm -hmm. some kind of receptor it blocks um, for the nerve that like goes up for sensation of your trigeminal nerve. nerve. So the trigeminal nerve has all these branches and you can put Botox into areas where there's no muscle, but it has like receptors for that nerve and like you're blocking certain receptors that would give pain for a headache was my understanding of that part of our <laughs> lecture today. But we can ask Rainbow. Is, yeah. 
We'll the have Botox to. is just enough for the pain and not doesn't cause enough like any changes to your physical appearance. I think mm, it. I think it would still do what does. it does cosmetically. Mm. Or are you saying though, like to put just a little bit of Botox in? Yeah, like is the amount of Botox you get for a migraine just enough to like reduce the pain, but not enough to cause cosmetic changes? Mm. Or that's would a great it cause? question. I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Hmm. Now I'm confused about that. Thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah something to ask my PI. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she would know for sure. Yeah. I, um, Oh, I didn't say my drink. Oh, yeah. Mm. Shoot. Nah, you can say it. No, it's too late. I'm just kidding. Sh strawberry boba. Like Val, but with actually the boba. <laughs> the actual boba. <laughs> Chose it because it's just delicious. Not not a topping. Yes, not a topping. <laughs> More of a sinking. It's literally a topping on their menu. So I sent you the that's, menu. That's you have all the information. The asterisk said honey something. And I assumed that that was a boba pearl. That's why I didn't order any topping. You know what? Actually, <laughs> shit, you're right. Because it does, she said it comes with, with the boba. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. We tweaked. <laughs> I tweaked. It's okay. Well, I, it's okay. <laughs> <sighs> but. It's so embarrassing. No, it's okay. It's okay. It was delicious without the, the pearls. So I'm still thankful. Okay. I appreciate you. <laughs> I guess more importantly, today our guest of honor is going to introduce themselves. Yes. Um, hi, my name is Mekla Singhania, and I am starting my third year in my PhD program. Um, I'm educated in biotechnology, engineering, and cancer genetics for my master's. Um, and now I'm doing research on therapy and lung cancer. Wow. Um, yeah. What are you confused about? Oh, right. Uh, so today what I'm confused about right now, I had a conversation with neuroscientists about <laughs> the full form of ASMR, and I don't know if it's a scientific term. <laughs> That's what I'm confused about. Yeah. Does anyone remember what it stood for? ASMR. We didn't not with that. I, I, I closed out of my tab that had it when we um, looked it up. I can do it again. <laughs> it was some sort of response. It was an actual like type of response. Hmm. Well, if you want to put in the fact check later, we can do it that I, way. That's right here. I got it. Oh, okay. We okay. Can just, we Go can for just it. slap it down right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Meridian. Yeah. Like the prime meridian? I I don't think <laughs> so. If I had to guess. If I had to guess, that's not it. <laughs> that, that's the only, like, what I got from that. So you had this, like, neuroscientist researching about ASMR? Or, like, they were just, they just brought no, it up? No, we were just having a conversation. Oh, you guys oh, are the yeah. neuroscientists I'm talking to. Yeah, oh, it was, it was <laughs> us. That's well, us. Okay. That was us. Yeah. You were just uh, doing the, the thing. On oh, the I must have completely gone over yeah. my head then. No, you were um, in You guys the are the, the yeah. neuroscientists. Um, and my beverage of choice is water because it's too late for coffee. 
Yeah, that's our bad. <laughs> that's okay. But like, no shade against water. <laughs> but you're not an evening coffee drinker. You won't do it. Well, no, because then I won't be able to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try not to, unless I have to stay awake late to study or something. Cool, cool. Okay, so we can get into it. I think we should kick it off with your story. Like, yeah. What um what did you do for your bachelor's? You mentioned real quick that you have a master's. Yeah. And now you're in your PhD. So. What is lay, your journey? Yeah, lay, lay, lay it on us. Your journey. Yeah, give us the rundown. Okay. Um, I uh grew up in India, and um in high school I really wanted to go to med school. Um, I knew I wanted to do cancer research because I've had people in my family uh, suffer from cancer. And I saw that um, in the early 2000s, there wasn't enough research for it. But then people who got cancer later, um, like 10 years after, were able to survive it. So obviously, there was a role of research in it. But I wasn't, I always thought a scientist was like a really smart person. So I didn't think that I could be a scientist. <laughs> I was like, but I can be a doctor if I study hard enough or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I didn't get into med school. And my backup option was engineering school. Mm-hmm. Mm, of course. So, <laughs> easy. <laughs> um, so I, I started engineering school and I started to do some research um, in my undergrad and it seemed really fun. I started to enjoy it and um, uh, I decided to do a master's after that because I wasn't sure if I was ready for the commitment of a PhD Mm. and I wanted more research experience, um, but I still wanted to do it in the field of cancer. So I think I've always been thinking about wanting to do research in this field. Um, so then I applied to master's program that were really research heavy, uh, which is what I did uh, my master's in. So that program was, um, a thesis based one. So I did research on, um, understanding the role of a tumor suppressor gene in colon cancer, um, realized I love doing research. I want to continue doing this. So then I applied for a PhD program and here I am. Oh my gosh. That's wild. What kind of engineering did you study? Uh, biotechnology engineering. Oh, okay. okay. So what exactly does that entail? Yeah. It's <laughs> not like, it's not a s- real, I, I, it is a real engineering. It's not real? <laughs> Four years, <laughs> not no. real. Like medical years. devices? No, it's more um, of everything in the fields of bi- It's like studying a little bit about everything. Mm-hmm. So, so like, like jack of all trade. Yeah, kind of. So like, like I had classes. I had like the basic biochemistry, organic chemistry, all of those classes. Mm-hmm. I had some classes on nanotechnology. I had classes on immunology, cancer bio. Whoa. I had a microbiology yeah. class. It's so interdisciplinary. Yeah, so it's, it's a very interdisciplinary program. So I kind of just knew a little bit about everything. Yeah. And it helped me understand how vast the field is, like what mm. options are there. And then kind of doing some research with a professor um, there in cancer research, I realized I enjoyed. And then I did... Uh, we had a thesis as well in our bachelor's program. So I did 
six months of research in a lab that developed some nanotechnology for cancer research, which was really cool. What is mm-hmm. nanotechnology? It's um, trying to, <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to say the definition the right way, but okay. it's trying to, I think, put the drugs in like really small particles um. made of different materials and kind of trying to get it into your body. Gotcha. Wow. Kind of. Sounds high tech. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it was. I haven't done it in a really long time. It was super cool, but then I didn't have an opportunity to do that. So what program are you in now again? I'm in the free radical and radiation biology program. Okay, amazing. Um, Where in like your program are you now? You said you're in your third year. Yeah. So I spent my first two years doing rotations, classes, all of that. Um, I managed to – our program does have a lot of coursework, but I managed to get a lot of my credits transferred through my master's, which was kind of nice. Mm -hmm. So I'm done with my coursework. Um, Obviously selected the lab I'd like to be in started researching and our program um, likes to have students do their comprehensive exam in the third year anytime in the third year mm-hmm. so it's not um, a strict deadline I know some PhD programs have like okay by this deadline or by this month you should have things figured out so mm-hmm. we don't have a specific timeline so I kind of spent a year after so first year rotations and then the second year I spent just kind of figuring out what my project's gonna be, which took yeah. a while because my first project didn't work out. Oh, no. So now I'm on my second project, which hopefully is gonna work out and then <laughs> no uh, pressure. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Not sure. <laughs> yeah. So and then I kind of wanted to start thinking about my comprehensive exam now so that in case I don't do great and I pass with reservations or something, I have enough time to try again. Oh, like if I do it year. early in the spring, then I have time to try one more try. Yeah. Yeah. So like what what have you done specifically in thinking about comps to like I don't even know. Like, what does comps look like for your program? Like, have you started to prepare for it or think about it? I Um, mean, you have, it sounds like, from your previous answer a little bit in terms of, like, doing a project that you'll write about in your comps maybe or yeah, I don't know how it works. (laughs) Um, So our program, uh, we do a comprehensive exam on our project. And I'm just so it's on saying topic. it's on topic, just saying that because I know some programs like to do the comprehensive exam off, like on a different topic than your research, right? So our program is very clear about that. Um, and I, um, so in my second year, when I was taking some classes that had grant writing, I was kind of just, I used that opportunity to just kind of think of, I had a vague idea of what my project would be because that's kind of what our lab is overall built on. 
Um, but I didn't know the specifics. So I was kind of just using the ideas from class to build on that. So I, mm. I thought about some ideas during the classes and kind of wrote that in my grant writing classes. And in the mm. summer, um, I was really busy with experiments. So I didn't have much time to write really. But I thought about some ideas and kind of made bullet points. I think this is an idea or that's an idea or that's an idea or that's an idea. Um, and would talk to my advisor about it whenever we met. Um, and then starting this semester, um, I wrote a really, really rough draft of a specific game speech. Like when I'm saying rough, I mean like bullet <laughs> points. Clearly I love writing yeah. bullet points. <laughs> we love a good um, outline. <laughs> yeah. And I showed it to my advisor and I said, these are my two or three ideas. And then we discussed who would be a good fit for my committee based on the ideas I have, the project I want, like the expertise I would need. And mm. so I approached committee members um, they all agreed. Aww. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then now I have to email them and find a time that works for everybody, which is I need to give them like three months time in advance because that's how busy they are. And is that before you submit anything? Yes. Like any proposal to them? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like up till now, my steps were ideas. Discuss with the advisor. <laughs> Ideas good? Okay. Who's the expert for these projects? Uh, Approach the experts. They all agreed. So I love this breakdown. Yeah, I did too. I was like, okay, I'm gonna re-listen to this and do that. So like yeah. when you started to think of ideas, like uh, like was it I get so nervous about trying to come up with ideas because I think Especially novel ones. Yeah, like, is it novel? Is there funding that I could do this? Mm -hmm. Or does it have to be, like, super in line with the lab's mm -hmm. work and stuff? Like, did you restrict your ideas? Or were you just kind of, like, very open and, like, oh, that's an idea, that's an idea, and then showed all of them to your advisor? Yeah, I think for me it was um, – so we have a big lab – and um, a grad student who's a year ahead of me is kind of has a foundation, <laughs> kind of has a like has a project that's more basic science. But the next step to her project would be a translation aspect to it, which is what I really want to do. I want to do translational research. Oh, so I saw some of I, I, I like. I talked to her, I spoke to her, and I was like, what are you planning to do? So kind of, I kind of used her as like a foundation to mm, then yeah. think of how I could apply that to my research. But also just talking to a lot of other grad students in my lab, in labs around, in our, our department is very collaborative. We all work on projects together. So I think talking to people and then thinking about what, my ultimate goal is, which is to understand how our specific therapy that we're studying, like how can we get it out there in the clinic? How can we make it more accessible for patients? 
So that's kind of if if that helps. I don't if that clarifies things so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're so smart. I'm like listening to you. I'm like, <laughs> oh you. yeah, that makes a lot of sense to like really ask your down. advisor <laughs> what is your direction of your work. Like, yeah. what do you hope? <laughs> Dang. I think like talking to if if you are in a lab that has senior grad students, you're okay. I'm not, but I'm some not people will be. So I, so I think like that kind of helps in some labs because it's like one grad student finishes but there's always a research question left to answer right Mm -hmm. and so you kind of it's like when you read a research paper and then sometimes in classes they ask you to write a grant Mm -hmm. so you always like you read the paper and then you're you read the discussion section and they always write like this is our research gap so you kind of think of like okay this is a research gap how can i fill that research gap yeah. That's so brilliant. You don't even have to do that much work. You just kind right. of read. And you're exactly. Like, okay, yeah. That's the gap. And then, yeah. And then you just think of how to fill it. Yeah. That's yeah. Kind it should of be like an that. exercise. Like just read yeah. discussions. Right. Papers. That's actually a great idea. They should do that more like when we do critiques of papers in like journal clubs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh. curious to know, you said that you are doing translational research or mm-hmm. hoping to do that. What yeah. what exactly does that mean, translational research? Um, I think to me that means so I want to try I want to try and work on a therapy for lung cancer that can actually get to patients, which I mean, I understand the limitation of doing a PhD and the limitation of getting drugs and therapies out there. Um but to me, it means trying to get one step closer to having enough data to start a clinical trial. So before, mm-hmm. our department has a lot of clinical trials that we put in with the therapy we're studying. Um, but before you put in and put in a grant for clin- for the phase one, you need to have some preclinical models and some studies done. So I'm hoping to be a grad student where I can do my research that is that preclinical model, which they can then use to give as a rationale to start the phase one or, mm. yeah. Gotcha. So I'm also curious how you went about deciding who to put on your committee. Yeah. Yeah, and if you could talk a little bit about, about what that committee does for somebody who is taking their comprehensive exam. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. So for me, um, so like in terms of my project, uh, I do want to have one translational aspect to it, right? So I want to think about how I can develop better preclinical models. So I wanted um, a a committee member who is an MD-PhD because Mm -hmm. then that person can understand, well, how do we take the science to the clinic? So I approached a professor who is an MD, PhD, who works in our department, knows the therapy I'm working with, but also works with patients um, and so knows what we need to get in order to improve the preclinical model, get it to the clinical mm-hmm. trial. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other professor I have on my committee is really is really really good um well obviously knows like the basic chemistry of my project like the the therapy that we're studying the molecule knows the basic chemistry and is really is a really good writer and i know i really want to improve my writing 
um, and oh, communication yeah. skills mm-hmm. in general. So I wanted that professor so they could help me be a better writer or just be a better communicator in general. That's awesome. Um, one of the professors I approached, I've taken a lot of classes by that professor. I felt like I communicated really well with them. I enjoyed talking to that professor. Um, I liked the way they thought about science. So yeah. I approached them. And one committee member, I actually don't know them personally at all, which was really, really intimidating for mm-hmm. me. But I know that they're an expert in DNA damage, which is something that I want to study in relation to our therapy. And I spoke to another grad student who has that professor on their committee. And they said the professor was great. And I asked them, do you want to, can you be on my committee? They said, yes. And then um, I emailed the professor and I said, okay, well, let's just chat because we don't know each other. <laughs> and I went and chatted with them. And it was the most awkward conversation <laughs> because I went in and I was like, hey, this is me. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And the professor was like, okay, so why do you want me on your committee? And I was like, well, I want to study, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think you would help. And they started asking. It was just a really awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. And it was five minutes. <laughs> that's painstaking it. five, five minutes. minutes and it's just like we were just sitting there in awkward silence for a bit and i was like yeah this is i'm i'm really happy to talk to you we'll chat again okay bye yeah oh but there's so, but they're on your committee yeah but they yeah agree. they are so, so i must have done something right <laughs> yeah i mean they just they agreed or to be they're on just my, like that yeah well i i mean i think they agreed to be on my committee because they know the other grad stood in my lab whose committee they're mm-hmm. on, so they kind of know my project. But um, I'm a little nervous about that because I think I'd like to have, like, a good, friendly relationship with my committee members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we'll see. I think that's always something that's a little scary. Yeah. When you, like, asked each of these people, would you tell them why you wanted them on your committee? Okay. Yeah, so I did, I emailed them and I said one or two lines about why I wanted them, like either like their expertise in this field or like the one random professor who I didn't know, but I really wanted because they're really good. I actually took one of their classes. So I emailed them saying like, I attended your lecture and it was really cool. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My question is, like, you really broke it down. Yeah. Um, like, do, you know, doing those first two years of coursework and, like, getting your head in the space and the experiments and then talking to your professor, like, all of that. What's been your guide? Is it because you did a master's? Yeah. Is your programs giving you these resources? Like, what has guided you through prepping for this, this like, in- comprehensive exam? Like, what has been your, your, your best resource? Is it you just trailblazing it? Is it the grad school? I'm just really curious because I myself really want that guidance. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I was curious. Um, I think in terms of thinking about forming a committee, I used a lot of um, what I remembered from my master's <clears throat> um, because this is how I formed my committee. And in my master's, I understood it because I t- spoke to a lot of grad students 
Um, and the other aspect of just kind of thinking about when to start working on my comprehensive exam, again, I spoke to a lot of other grad, grad students in my program. I'm the kind of person who likes to talk to all the different people who've kind of been in my field around me, learn from them, learn from their experiences. It's, and for someone who's introverted, it's hard to get out there and ask those questions. But I think when I kind of started in grad school, something that I don't remember who was who told me, but was that if you want mentorship or guidance from someone, you've got to ask and just don't be afraid to ask those questions. Mm. So I um, would talk to grad students about what they did. How did they start the, their process of working on their comprehensive exam? How did they think about their committee members? How did they motivate themselves to find that timeline to work on their own? Um and I'm someone who can have um, better conversations with people one-on-one. So I always approach them and say, hey, do you have five minutes to chat, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? And then that's kind of how I think about a lot of things in grad school, learn from other people who okay. have done it. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense yeah. <laughs> to do. <That's> true. <laughs> I'm curious, like, well, when are your comps? Are they scheduled yet or no? Um, my So my comps, I'm hoping to have my committee meeting end of the semester. So like December, maybe November end after Thanksgiving. And then we'll see what they say because our, so the WEA program works. I have my first committee meeting. I show them my two aims and they have to approve it. Okay. And when they approve it, then I can start working on my comps. And then ideally I get a month to work on my comprehensive exam. So I'm hoping early spring would be when I would do it. Okay. So then if I don't pass it, (laughs) I have an opportunity like middle or end of the semester to give it again. Mm. Okay. So I'm curious if you've experienced imposter syndrome in thinking about your comps or like mm-hmm. getting ready for it or no. Um, I think that I've always had to deal with that, even during my <laughs> yeah. master's, yeah. even during my PhD. That's something that's that's really hard for me. Um, and I think it's hard for a lot of people in oh, grad yeah. school. I know I'm not alone in this this process of thinking about, you know, I'm an imposter, I'm not supposed to be here, am I really this smart? Um, yeah. And yes, it's hard. I don't think I have any tips off the top of my head to to help people. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. You don't have to solve it. <laughs> Our long podcast, we solved it. (laughs) But I think it's nice to just acknowledge it and Mm. just to know that we're all in this together. We all have it. It's hard. It's not easy. Yeah. But I think like... wise. Yeah, that is very wise. (laughs) I think for me it helps when I talk to people about things that are hard for me because then it's... And then like people mention something that's hard in their life. So I'm like, you know, it's... 
it's not only my life that's hard. Everyone else has something going on. Yeah, you're not alone. (laughs) Right. And I think, like, what I've realized just being in grad school or, like, just what it means to be a scientist, I mean, it's not like this, you're born with this genius brain. It's really just perseverance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Being resilient, like, past and breaking barriers. Yep. Yeah. So, wow. It seems like you've done that quite well. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I think now would be a good time for you to tell us what what exactly are you studying? Tell us some of your research. Yeah. Um, so I am studying um, lung cancer. That's the disease model, specifically non-small cell. It's a type of lung cancer. Um, and I am studying uh, the role of – so um, – Our lab, a lot of other labs, uh, found that uh, high-dose vitamin C, if it's given intravenously, it's a great adjuvant to uh, the standard of care that's given for lung cancer. So I'm trying to understand uh, what the specific mechanism would be so we could add the vitamin C and the standard of care and maybe other therapies to um, improve the response to lung cancer. Yeah. That's That's kind of a broad description. Yeah. Yeah. And so you do mice work, so that's preclinical models of what you just described? Yeah. To test that? Well, I've recently started working um, on mice, but I'm also I also do cell culture, so in vitro models as well. Yeah, gotcha. So in vitro and in vivo models combination. Yeah. What is your like favorite to work with, or I don't know, because I've I've worked with cell lines very briefly mm-hmm. <laughs> in my history yeah. of science and. It was so hard to, like, not kill those cells. <laughs> and, and do you mostly do animal work then? No, I don't. <laughs> I do cognitive neuro work, which is in, like, um, like I use MRI. But uh, oh, we actually use MRI in our department, too. Oh, yeah, because you can image mice and rodents. Um, we, have this, we, have the, we have the facility, the small animal re- radiation something. But I I know where the MRI facility is because I've gotten it for my animals. Yes. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So I do that, but just in like humans, I guess. Oh. Like people. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Humans. Yeah. Humans. humans. (laughs) That's what we are. But yeah, in my undergrad, I did this summer um, internship and it was in an auditory neuroscience lab and Mm -hmm. they used rodent models, um, but also cell lines. And so, yeah, they taught me how to sell culture, and I was mm. trying to do it. And I don't think I was actually successful. <laughs> like, I don't think any of my cell lines survived. survived. Um, but I really tried. Like, I, I love following, like, stringent steps and routine yeah. and stuff. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, it's like if you give me a protocol. Like yeah, like, I love it. If they're, like, exactly... A third of a cup of flour. I'll be like, yes, exactly a third of a cup of flour. <laughs> um, or, you know, if, like, you have to, 
whatever, like all the things. So, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I would thrive, but it's it's technically very challenging. But mm-hmm. I'm sure, too, like working with mice and rodents is also technically challenging. So yeah, yeah. it all kind of is. <laughs> it doesn't really get easy at this level. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went on a tangent. Um, do you prefer working with cell lines or rodents? Um, okay, so... <laughs> this already sounds controversial. <laughs> when I... So during my master's, I only did cell culture. Um, well, I did a little bit of animal, but it was mostly um the animals were already euthanized and then i worked on them i didn't have to work with live animals during my masters um when i started my phd i wanted to work on animals because i wanted to do more translational research but i realized during one of my rotations that i'm really terrified of animals of like not animals mice specifically (laughs) Oh, I, lo- I love dogs um, <laughs> as pets. Um, pets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Any, you, so no stray dogs. You're yeah. not. Any um, other uses of dogs, no. And I, I don't know if I would ever be comfortable using dogs for research. But um, when it comes to mice, yeah. So during meditation, I was really terrified. Um, it took... Um, it was hard for me to get comfortable with them. I think the grad students in that lab um, kind of helped me get out of the comfort zone a little bit and, like, spoke to me about how I could try and do that. And anyway, so I was really afraid, and I was like, okay, I'm never, ever, ever going to be do, able to do mouse experiments I was really sad about it because I really wanted to do translation so I and then so after meditations I started in the lab I'm currently in and I started doing cell culture and then um that that particular project didn't work out and there was an opportunity to do animal like mouse experiments um and um I kind of just jumped on it and I was like, okay, I guess I'll just figure it out. Maybe it'll mm-hmm. be okay. So I think it was it was hard, the first one or two animal experiments, the mouse experiments I did. And now I'm a lot more comfortable working with them. And I'm really proud of myself that I reached a point <laughs> where I can actually do mouse experiments. Because at the beginning of my PhD, I was like really sad. Aww. I remember like talking to a lot of people like, Will I ever be a good scientist if I can't do mouse experiments? Can't a mouse? Yeah. I actually oh genuinely thought I would be a terrible scientist. As someone who also works with mice, like that learning curve, once you get it, you're like, Yeah, oh, I'm a scientist. I can do everything. <laughs> Which like it's Aww. totally okay if you're not comfortable doing mouse experiments. Yeah, yeah. I realized through like talking to other people, they're like, no, we don't like it and we do cell culture and they're still really great scientists. So just for people listening, if you're not comfortable, that's totally okay. Yeah. You're still an awesome scientist. Yeah. Um, the wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> just saying that because that made me feel better when someone told me that like, no, you, you, you can be an awesome scientist even if you don't want to do animal work. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the question which one i like working better i think it's 
with with salt culture what's nice is it's a little bit more predictable and it's less uh stressful in terms of like okay my cells died that's not great but i can just pull out another wild but with animal experiments it's just that it's a lot more commitment you really have to be here it was hard for me to travel or take vacation mm. but with cell culture it just felt more predictable but then that's not as close to doing translational research as animal studies are mm. gotcha yeah because okay. it goes cell culture to animal and to human to is that yeah. like the the like well, cancer pipeline really sometimes it depends uh, like sometimes it's cell culture, small animal, big animal, then. So like, for example, with vaccines, and you can like fact check this, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but I think you have to go, you have to first do small animals and then you have to do like a large animal and then you do clinical trials. So I think like with every kind of drug and treatment, it depends what that pipeline is. Yeah. But yeah. So when you say it moves from small animal to large animal, are you talking from like a mouse to what? Mouse to like a pig or a chimpanzee oh. or a hamster. Something larger than a mouse. Yeah, something larger. Something larger and maybe like cl- more closely related to humans. Yeah. Okay. So like a macaque maybe? A what? A macaque, the monkey? I think, um, yeah, I think I've heard, heard macaque being used in a lot of macaques used in a lot of trials. Oh, wow. So oh. I'm curious. We can fact check that. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to. <laughs> we'll look it up. Um, yeah. Interesting. So what's, yeah, what, what's what's after grad school for you? I'm interested in. Didn't we just have a seminar talk where it's like, that's the most stressful question you can ask. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Take a sip what, of water. What, when are you going to graduate? <laughs> no, no, I'm just curious. Um. With like you kind of have like a foundation of everything that like you can like boiling it down. So like so, thinking, yeah, yeah. Just curious. Um, I think for me, one thing that I've always kind of thought about, and this was like initial. It might be like me being too idealistic, but I really want to work on a therapy that's affordable mm. for someone who gets cancer. Um, because when I was growing up and I had people in my family have cancer, I, I recognized that I had some kind of privilege because of which people in my family were able to get the therapy they wanted, but not everyone has that privilege. Um, that's how it was in India and the U S of course, we know that there's issues with the healthcare system. So not everyone has equal access. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so I think it's, it's uh, for me, it's really important to think about developing something that's affordable. Um, so that's something I definitely want in a future career goal. But I think right now my thoughts are mostly to move out of academia and into industry because um, I kind of want to think less about publishing my, my research, but more about how can we get it to clinical trials and to patients. Mm. Gotcha. 
not saying that academia doesn't do that, but that's how you want to do it. Yeah. yeah. But like time. industry maybe has a little bit more funding to get it out there. Yeah. 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 And like earlier in our seminar, we had a speaker talking about this kind of process and stuff and like, I don't know, like people like to draw a line between academia and industry, but people publish, <laughs> you know, like right. it's, it's not actually it's that It's not different. really academia versus industry. There's a lot of in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The line's definitely blurry. Yeah. 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 I know like people that are in academia that are funded by industry, mm-hmm. like that, the whole West yeah. coast is like that. They're like, yeah, I work, I work in a, you know, X, X lab and UCLA or whatever, but we're funded yeah. by this big pharma yeah. that just like, it's like working in industry, but you're in academia. Yeah. So. And there are tons of PIs who receive funding from the department of defense, mm-hmm. which yes. is all government, right? Yeah. All military stuff. Well, maybe not all of it, but, uh, they're receiving that funding, which is totally not technically an academic source. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my lab also, not on projects that I'm working on, but we um, get funding f- for different projects from this company that um, they actually, this company, they just make the drugs and they give it to us to test. Um, and they don't have a research lab anymore or like a clinical research center. They actually just give money to research institutes to do research, which is like a very common business model for a lot of companies that they just kind of fund people in academia to do those. So that's so that's kind of where this line is blurry too, right? Because yeah. they are industry and we're academia, but then we're doing research for them. Yeah. So that's interesting. But like I, I put things into perspective. It's like I asked you that question. You said, "Well, I want to achieve this goal," and yeah. so it seems like like industry would allow you to achieve that goal, yeah. rather than like I'm going to industry because I'm like I want industry, right. not yeah. academic environment. It's more like goal oriented. Yeah, right. It's a better fit for what you want to do. Yeah. And like what you want to do is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Super <laughs> Thank gosh we have you working on this because like. Affordable treatments are a necessity globally. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing like to think about too, in terms of like future careers, at least for me is like what my lifestyle is and if it's going to match with Mm. what I want for my future career. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Someone also in seminar, they were like going around asking this question and there's like, I want to support my hobbies like that's what i want my career to to be and i was like wow why didn't i even think about that first like that's are we so of, career driven you know right what right. do you want to be when you grow up happy like yeah. you know instead well, of and it's, i think it's like this i might sound i don't know maybe sound gen z or um <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's this idea of like of living in this capitalist world that we have to be like goal oriented and career oriented and like it's okay if you're not like it's okay to just want to be happy that's totally fine (laughs) if that's what you want yeah do it sometimes i think that to myself and then everything just feels okay again (laughs) right (laughs) just like oh i can just like take a breath 
yeah. and yeah. enjoy my life too <laughs> while yeah. I do these things that I care so much about. Yeah, yeah. Over, over the weekend, uh, I was talking to, I think Yasin and I were both talking to uh, a senior grad student who was like, you can't do it all. Take take the time, relax, mm-hmm. take every opportunity you can get to yeah. get out of the lab and, and enjoy your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, yeah, what do you do on those hobbies? What, how do you promote work-life balance? Yeah, I think uh, for me, when I started, for me, when I started uh, grad school, like doing my master's, it was really hard for me to think about a work-life balance. Um, I was not great at it, but I think I could feel myself burning out and, um, there was a there was a friend of mine in grad school who uh, told me about how um, going to a therapist really benefited them. Um, I I never thought about going to a therapist because growing up in India, that's you don't talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, then like putting myself out there and talking to a therapist and thinking about how to not feel burnt out uh was kind of helpful like it helped me think about like oh i really do need to have a work-life balance i think like i always thought that having a work-life balance meant you're lazy but that's not true because if you're burnt out then you can't do what you want to do so i think i kind of i kind of started thinking about it then um I mean, in my undergrad, I did do a lot of things other than just studying. I was part of a lot of student organizations. Um, I really enjoy um, painting. So I was part of this art organization. It's yeah. like my favorite hobby. Um, I used to enjoy playing basketball. So I was on my university team, but only like in my undergrad, not anymore. You're so and, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll plug your work too. You plugged. <laughs> oh, my artwork? Yeah. I'm actually too embarrassed to put it up anymore. Oh, fair so enough, fair enough. I, I only have it, like, I have it in my apartment, but I don't think I've ever taken a picture of any of my artwork to put it up anywhere. I have mine displayed in my bathroom. That's how you feel about your artwork. Yeah, well, no, that way it's like it forces people to look at it. Right. Point, you know? Yeah. That, actually, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in the bathroom. It faces the toilet, so like oh, you can't get away so from have, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of these days you'll look. Jeez, uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. So I kind of like doing that. So I did that in my undergrad. Um. I also really enjoy traveling. Um, and now that I'm in the U.S. and I have the opportunity to see a lot of things in a country that I haven't, I like to travel whenever I can. Um, what are some, some states you've been to? Um, let's see. Or give us your, give us your favorite of the, favorite the ones you've been state? to. Favorite state? Yeah. So far. Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> um... A favorite state, that's kind of, uh, I think that's a hard question. Where would you recommend someone to go? Um, Like, can't miss it. You should definitely see this while you're in the U.S. 
I'm going to be biased when I say this because I lived in Minnesota, but there <laughs> really are places up the North Shore that are so beautiful. And I say this because um, I have cousins who live in California that have never been to the Midwest. And when I was in Minnesota, they came to visit me and we went up the North Shore and they said, oh, my God, wow, like this really beautiful place exists and we didn't know about it. So, yeah, I think the North Shore in Minnesota has a special place in my heart. That's funny. I I grew up in California. And uh, hands down, my favorite place in the Midwest is is Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. Definitely recommend going. And like every every season, it looks different and it's beautiful. Mm. Wow. Is that like northern Minnesota? Yeah. Like next to Canada? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No light pollution? Nothing. It's really beautiful. And it's really affordable. It's really not that expensive. You just camp up there? Well, like, no, it has like towns, so you oh. could. But then, yeah. I thought it was like super rural, like no one's That's been there. There's civilization. Untouched. On my mind, I was like, oh, man. Oh, my <laughs> God. Okay, well. You have access to some restaurants and housing. And <laughs> no, bring a shovel and a tent. Yeah, clearly I've lived in this city my whole life. <laughs> I mean, I have a friend who he studies geophysics and like travels around with his program and like, I don't know, he'll go to places where I would not think you'd need to like camp out, but because they're going to sites and stuff that is like specific, they do like bring tents and camp out and they can't shower and like. So that's a fair question you're saying? Like, yeah, you you (laughs) can go to places and like camp or tent or whatever, Mm. like. You gave him an out, Avery. Yeah. I'll take well, it. No, I'll take okay, it. I'm not totally okay. saying that Yasin is within his right to... I don't know what I'm saying. It's too late. Like, my brain is turning off. Minnesota is desolate. <laughs> uh, listener, write in if you're from Minnesota. Should we, should we fact check it. whether Minnesota is desolate or not? I guess we have to <laughs> Well, that'll be a pretty easy fact check. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, Michael, I know that you have to go. Like, thank you for talking with us and sharing yeah. your wise words. Yeah. It's made me feel a little bit less stressed and feel like I have more of a handle on, I don't know, when I think about comps because I haven't done that or thought about that really yet. So, Yeah, you've put yeah. a lot into perspective for us. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This was really fun. I'm glad I could come and chat with you guys. <laughs> Yes. Do you have any like last like advice or anything that you want to lay out on the table for the listener? Um, anything you want to plug, like your artwork yeah. or shout out? Can we buy any, a painting? Any, <laughs> Just for anything. a million dollars, though. So. Honestly, maybe some <laughs> too rich for my blood. I'm out. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I think one thing I would just say to like maybe grad students listening is, and it's something that someone told me before, it's just don't be afraid to ask questions. Nothing's ever too dumb. <laughs> it's just, just go for it. You know, just, just do it. It's okay. I love that. That's that's, yeah, and scene. So that's a perfect end. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You so yeah, much. Thank you so much. Thank you.
That concludes today's episode. Please check the show notes for references from our fact check. Catch us at the start of each month for a new episode. And if you have any questions or inquiries, contact us at educatedbutconfused at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You didn't like that triple berry breezer? <laughs>